Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. <laughs> Tommy, Ocean Chinook or Puget Sound Coho, what is your palate favorite? And you drop yeah. that kokanee on top of that barn door halibut's head, 67 feet of water, and he was not happy about that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Boxers or briefs? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with a European cut speedo. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I yeah. love tuna. I do love tuna. Heck yeah! <laughs> hey, you know, I have a buddy who refers to Canadian geese as flying carp. Obviously, he's not cooking them. <laughs> he clearly, right? Oh, ocean schnook. Seriously? Hands down. Really? Hands down. I don't fish for coho. Ah, good point. Hey, speaking of grind, can you tell the difference between ground deer and ground elk? Honestly, taste the difference. You know, Dwayne, we only get one chance to live this life, mm -hmm. and you will always regret the things that you don't do. So you know what I tell people? Buy the damn boat. Hey, you know, the facts are some days are just a grind. Welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, the number one fishing and hunting talk show throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now here's your host, Dwayne England, and of course, the infamous Tommy Donlan. Hey, good evening and welcome Fish Hunt Northwest, Dwayne England, Tommy Donlan, take two. Take two. Take Let's two. Let's try this again. Yeah, we're going to try this again. A little uh, technical difficulty, none to worry. We got her up and going now. The beard is on it. And uh, I want to welcome everybody back to the show. We are going to just start this thing from the top because it appears everybody missed out on what it is we had to say. Man, mm -hmm. it was good. It was really good. Oh, it was so it's going to be even better the second it's time be around. Even better. We had a practice little warm-up session. So, <laughs> uh, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. You know, I'm just show. glad that that everybody on our team now is healthy. Yeah. And not spreading viruses or diseases or anything like that. So I'm glad to be back here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back. We got a ton of info to get uh, through this evening, as we typically do, and uh, a lot of good stuff going on, man. It's early fall, rivers opening up, coastal streams mm -hmm. opening up, hunting around the corner, uh, tons to talk about, lots of things happening, reopenings. It's just a ton of great info. We're so glad to be able to bring it to you. With that, Tommy, a little bit of breaking news that a lot of folks are excited about: the Lower Columbia is opening. Yeah, that's awesome. Reopening. Yep. Reopening to Chinook retention and, of course, Coho. Uh, effective tomorrow, October 1st through the 31st, Columbia River will reopen for adult and jack Chinook retention. Uh, this is from upstream from, uh, from Bowie 10 to Tongue Point. Uh, the adult bag, li bag limit will be three salmon. Okay, you get three salmon of only which one may be a Chinook. Then also from Tongue Point... The uh, tongue point from Rocky Point line upstream to Warrior Rock, the adult bag limit will be two salmon, of which one may be a Chinook. And remind you that all uh, coho have to be hatchery coho. Mm -hmm. Okay, So you got a two or three bag fish limit uh, with one Chinook, and you got coho opportunity. There's a lot of fish in the lower system. Opens tomorrow. you got a full month. Go get them. And uh, a lot of folks have been waiting for this, hoping we could get there. Apparently, we got our tule count. Right? Yep, so, that's what we needed. That's what we needed. So yep. we're back on the water in that regard. So that's good to hear. Running down the show tonight, Tommy, we got a heck of a lot of info to cover, as we mentioned, kind of in the opener. Uh, Danny Stonedall, River Chrome Guide Service. I don't know if you know Danny. Jordan and I have fished with Danny in the past. Outstanding young man, great guide. And uh, have you been paying attention to what's going on in the Skagit? I've heard a little bit about it. Lots of coho in the Skagit. Holy smokes, Danny's on it, and stick around because he's going to tell you exactly how you too can get up there and be successful. Now, uh, a little something I threw out on Facebook earlier in the week, Tommy, looking for input, riverbank and boat etiquette. 
This yes. is one that folks want to see. They yeah. seem to want to talk about. Okay, it's going to be a heated battle. It's everything we love and hate about false salmon fishing. We're here to tell you, and in a, in a nutshell, it's just, can't we all just get along, right? Yeah. Can't we all just get out and enjoy the day? So stick around for that, because that is going to be That's a good one. good content. And if you are sitting here tonight viewing this as we enter, entertain that discussion, please feel free jump on here and throw some comments in. We'd like to hear from you what it is you think is important in regards to river uh, and boat etiquette out there on the rivers. Jason Phelps, friend of ours, Tommy, for sure. Jason Phelps, mm-hmm. Phelps Game Calls. What do you think it would be like to hunt with Steve and Ronella? You know, I'd be a, I'd be okay hunting with Steve, but my biggest fear is that he's going to make me eat whatever he makes, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm out on the coyote, but that being said, uh, Jason has become good friends with and business partners with Ronella and his clan. So they did a little uh, jump down in New Mexico. Yeah. A little bull elk hunt. And two, well. two bulls down. Going to get Jason on the phone later on here in the show. He's on the road to Montana heading out for another hunt, but we're going to pin him down and get the updates and find out what that hunt was all about down in New Mexico. Looking forward to that. Uh, ballistics, Tommy, preparation for the fall hunt, whether it's deer, elk, bear, whatever, mountain lion, mm-hmm. I, you know, ballistics are key. Absolutely. Okay, we're busting out the ballistics lab tonight with our very own Tommy Donlin. Have you been getting ready? And if you haven't, Tommy's going to school you up on exactly what you should be doing and how important it is to get dope, okay? Along with that, we have a handful of other topics we will be uh, closing out the show with, some news bulletins and updates. Um, yeah, and the likes. Along with that, hey, want to remind everybody, Tommy, we've launched our new podcast. We did, yes. Fish on Northwest podcast is now obtainable weekly. Every Friday morning, we will release our relevant and new content that we record previously the night before Thursday. So if you don't have time to catch our entire show, want to get the interview portions, mm-hmm. in-studio guests, phone interviews, segments with uh, our content driven by Tommy and I, these discussions we'll have tonight is podcastable. Yeah, well, and it's a great, you know, Friday morning, Friday afternoon commute to work. I have yeah. a long commute, Yeah, and I certainly enjoy a good podcast. Absolutely. So, and, and with my commute, I could listen to probably two of them. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, you'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, iHeart, Spotify, Stitcher, all the platforms. We upload through a single platform of where we land our work, and it gets dispersed out. Coming to you each and every week with new, fresh, live, relevant content right here from the studio. Please check it out. Go to one of those platforms. Uh, subscribe on there. Get in touch with us and listen to our weekly podcast. So I want to make sure folks are aware of that. Um, other than that, you know, we were kind of alluding to earlier before the break, uh, this rain that has fallen has kind of put a wrinkle in our plans. For a little bit. Yeah. I want to fish tomorrow. I want to fish Saturday. I want to fish Sunday. We're going to get you out in a drift boat. We're going to get you drowning guts under a bobber, as Herzog would say. Yep. Eggs. We're going to get you twitching jigs. We're going to get you cast some spinners. We're going to do all the norms that we like to do on our tributary opportunity when it comes to Chinook and Coho um, and have a good time doing it. Going to put you in the front of that drift boat and see how I can navigate downriver when I'm trying to look past a barn door. But beside that, <laughs> we're going to find our way downriver. Going to get you into what it is we enjoy on these tributary fisheries. As the rivers drop a little bit again, as mentioned earlier, it's not so much about the volume right here. The volume doesn't concern me at all. I like the volume. It's good. The Just a clarity. Got to get a little clarity. Yep. We can go fish in the mud. We could drop wrapped plugs on some of these drifts and sit on anchor or move down through a slot and and work these fish and put it right in front of their nose and more than likely catch fish. But I want to expose you to, you know, we wait one more day. The river drops another three, four, five hundred feet. It's going to be 
primo. Yeah, we get that yeah. we get that little bit of green coming back to it, two to four. I mean, two feet of visibility would be great. Four, six yeah. feet of visibility. I mean, it opens up your whole world. Now we have opportunity to deploy all different types of techniques. I, and I'm looking forward to it. I've never done any of this. I've, yeah. never, I've never even jumped in a drift boat before. Yeah. Yeah, so. I'm not even sure a drift boat would float with me in it. So we're <laughs> well, going to find out. We're going to give the RivTech its run for its money, that's for sure. Uh, well, I think you'd be okay. You know, when I was okay. guiding, okay. I literally had, uh, do I dare say, a couple 350-pounders in the boat one day. Oh, yeah, that's bigger than me. Yeah, I was okay. working my ass yeah. off. I'm not going to lie. That was, uh, that was one to look back on and think never again. So That's back when you had the big pipes. That's back yeah, when I was young yeah. and strong, right? <laughs> and dumb. So anyhow, looking forward to that. We will get out on the water. It's just a matter of which day or a couple days. And we're going to have an outstanding time. There's a lot of fish coming. The river, you know, what's funny is if you look at the forecast, we're going to get dumped on today. We knew that. Mm -hmm. Now you look at the long range forecast. There's yeah, not a lot of rain in the forecast good. for 10 days. So 10 days from now, when all you guys are complaining, like, oh, my God, it's so low and clear, I can't get any fish, they're going to be there. You just got to figure out how to get them. Um, you're, they're going to be asking for rain. It's like, man, we need some mm -hmm. rain. Well, we had rain. Now you just got to deal with time the, it correctly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, the water, and the temperatures, as we get deeper in fall, will continue to get cooler at night. It tends to get your rivers to drop even more, get clarity back in. Mm -hmm. It becomes a different game when you go from two feet of visibility and the fish feel protected and they're moving all day mm -hmm. to pocket fish in low gin clear water because we'll get there mm -hmm. multiple times throughout the season. That's what's so challenging about river fishing and these tributaries especially is you get the changing conditions. You get changing conditions in the ocean, but it could be raining like it is today. You're going fishing on the ocean. It doesn't water, matter, yeah. Right? If it's not yeah. a huge blow, if it's not yeah. a small craft advisory, which keeps everybody else other than Tommy Donlin off the water. Right. Uh, you know, you know. oddly, though, what it does affect is when you're squid fishing near a river system. So, like, that that downtown Seattle squid fishery that we have. Yeah. You get you get a big rain, and the Duwamish just starts puking out that chocolate sure, yeah. milk water, yep. you know? Yeah. And that, that totally affects the uh, ability to squid. Yeah. It's yeah. a visibility thing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that is, uh, that's kind of what we got going on here. Stick with us through the break. We're going to jump out real quick. We come back. Danny Stonedahl, if you're not familiar with him, uh, you need to be. The kid kills it year in and year out. River Chrome Guide Service, he's up in the Skagit uh, watershed area. Tons of coho out there, and he's doing well. Probably taking a break on the sidelines for a couple days, as are most of us with this mm -hmm. water clarity issue that we'll have on multiple rivers. But I'm telling you, Danny's going to get you spooled up. couple-minute break. We'll come back right here at Fish Hunt Northwest. Defiance Marine is the one-stop shop for the Pacific Northwest Angler. Whether you are looking for a small skiff to fish the sound or rivers or a huge offshore tuna machine, Defiance Marine has it. At Defiance Marine, be sure to power your boat with a Honda Outboard Package. Take advantage of the reliability and five-year top-to-prop warranty on your Honda Outboards. Our service department is always here to help and serve you as the customer. Did you know Defiance Marine has boat financing experts to help get you the best term rates on your new boat purchase? If you need financing for that new boat, call us today. We guarantee the best price, best service on a repower for your current boat. Defiance Marine is a Honda Premier dealership and one of the largest on the West Coast. 
Defiance Marine also carries all the gear that you will need. Everything from auxiliary kicker motors to fishing tackle and bait. Defiance Marine has certified technicians that are top-notch at their job. Some of the best in the Pacific Northwest at evaluating your boat issues and problems. Stop in today or give us a call for all your needs at Defiance Marine. Today, the need for quality private security services is at an all-time high. Contract Security Service provides day-to-day -day peace of mind as they protect people and property. Here at Phoenix, we provide service for multiple state and federal contracts with services ranging from uniform, patrol, alarm monitoring, canine detection, executive protection, as well as investigative work. Phoenix client management models are built on understanding our client's security needs and responding with a tailored program that is best fit for them. Phoenix provides excellent customer service through well-trained, highly motivated security professionals. Recruiting highly qualified officers is the first step in building a strong team. Currently, we are comprised of 70% prior law enforcement and military veterans. If you are prior military or law enforcement, go to www.phoenixprotectivecorps.com and apply today. Hey, welcome back. Oh, that camera. Okay, welcome back, Fish Hunt Northwest. <laughs> We're all over the place, Tommy. Uh, we are here in studio, Dwayne and Tommy Donlin. We're trying to get this. It's Jordan's uh, fault. It's I'm just going to say it right just now. Just a bit glitchy. Yep, Josh, we got that. So our upload speed apparently is giving us a little difficulty tonight, folks. Just hang in there. Maybe Comcast will get it resolved. If nothing else, you can at least hear the audio, and uh, which is good because our next guest, first time uh, in quite a while, Danny Stonedall, River Chrome Guide Service. He is available and willing to spill the beans this evening on those coho up in that Skagit region. How you doing tonight, buddy? Great, great. Doing good, Dwayne. Yeah, so a little rain even up north uh, throughout the day last night and throughout the day today for you up there, huh? Yeah, yeah. I've actually been uh, trying to stay busy all week. It rained last Sunday, and I haven't fished actually since then, so it looks like earliest it's next next week, middle of the week. Hopefully it's been a while. So Okay. Well, prior to yeah. that, uh, there seemed to be a decent number of fish around for the waters you're fishing, how would you compare it to say the last two to three years? Are you seeing a, a really good number of coho thus far, or would you put it as a mild average uh, season going into it? Um, a little hard to tell. This year was weird. Um, we had a lot of snow melt early because it was so warm. Yeah. Um, so the lower river, especially you know where you you fish that time of year a lot, um, it was pretty gray the whole time. Um, and then immediately after that. Stopped, we had we've had this rain so it's been probably the toughest september as far as getting on the water um so i can't say much about the consistency but I, every day that's been good conditions we've done really well so i i would say it's been just as good as the last you know last couple of years the fish have been on a pretty good upswing coho wise so up here anyway yeah so if you would have availability of days as in if the conditions would allow you to fish daily you would probably just be crushing it i mean I've seen what you've yeah. been pulling on the days you are on the water. It's impressive. Um, sure, sure, yeah. It was, I mean, Sunday, you know, was the best water conditions day we've had in a while, right before it rained again. And we had 10 by 10 in the morning, and we were fishing for pinks after that. So, wow. Yeah. That's uh, solid. Yeah. <laughs> That's real solid. You still got a decent yeah. number of pinks coming in. They're kind of tapering off at this point, aren't they? They're not coming in anymore, but they stay around for a while. That, That's yeah. been another issue with, you know, as far as, not only fighting water conditions, but there was a million pinks forecast under this gadget this year. So, yeah, right. Um, 
<laughs> some days it's really hard. Some of the spots I know as the best co-host spots for me to find them in are like, you can't even cast a spinner in there. You hook one in the back. There's so many pinks. So. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> That's well, a good problem to have, though, too. A a pretty good number, huh, Tommy? So... <laughs> Uh, yeah. But, you know, hey, hopefully with this rain, it'll get them actually cruising on upriver and clear out your holes so that you can primarily focus on your coho. It should. Yeah. Um, they'll, you know, they'll be around, but they'll start to move over the spawning water and stuff. They won't be right in the middle of the yeah. coho water anymore. So, You know, for a lot of yeah, guys, uh, the Skagit is a pretty good sized piece of water. If you're used to fishing tributaries or coastal streams, like you spend most of your winter out there chasing steelhead on the coast, Compare that to some of those coastal rivers with the Skagit. You come up there first time on the Skagit, say drift boat or something, if you don't go way up into it, but, uh, you know, mid-span mid on it, it's a pretty good-sized piece of water. It is, yeah. It's, uh, it can be intimidating for anyone. Um, a lot of people ask me, like, how do you fish? That kind of stuff. And it, it's definitely different. Like, you don't know. You catch a lot of fish in the Skagit um, where you would never find them in a lot of other rivers, like... Uh, You'll catch them in steelhead water, you know, inside corners where you'd be side drifting or whatever. Um, it's like one and a half to two feet of water where, you know, a lot of the smaller rivers, you just can't target that kind of water, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So especially in the lower schedule, like you do, you fish a lot of spinners on inside corners and um, traveling water where, as in other rivers, you, you're, you know, you're rowing through a hole and the fish are in it, right? So. Yeah. Sounds interesting. So on, on the terminal side of things, you talked about spinners. Like, what's your go-to right now? Like, what does the what does the spread look like? So it changes. Um, I would say the the gadget's so big when you're fishing any kind of like early season or lower half of the river where you would anytime you would expect fish to be moving a little bit. Um, you're targeting a lot more like shallow water steelhead moving water kind of stuff like that and i throw a lot of spinners and uh and wigglers in that situation um because you can cover water fast right and the fish aren't in they're not in like dead water yet this time of year or down in the lower river um so for the first half of the year or when i'm fishing the lower river you fish you know spinners and wigglers and stuff you can move a lot with um if you're going to go up and fish up river which you know the hatchery is all the way up at marble mount 60 miles off the system. Yeah. Then your game kind of changes. If your fish are holding and staging, getting, you know, starting to get a little color. And then, uh, I'm sure we all, obviously all of our favorite way to fish is switching. Um, so I switch over to that, uh, when they, you know, you find them in the dead waters and the backwaters and stuff. So, uh, it kind of changes. And, and that's the same, the upriver thing. You use a lot of eggs too, you know? Mm. Um, so it just changes depending on the time of year and where you're fishing. So, you side drifting those eggs, bobber dogging, fishing suspended. What's kind of your go? You're you're on the move constantly. So how are you presenting those eggs? Mostly uh, suspended, like you know, just like how you blow fish fishing or whatever. Yeah, they yeah. start to stage up, you know, up by the hatchery. So if you're you know if you're a drift boat guy and you want to go up river and fish where the fish stack up a little more, you you're going to want to bring eggs and you're going to want to bring twitching jigs and target mm-hmm. your traditional coho water. But if you're you know a guy who runs a sled in the lower Snohomish or stuff like that and want to try this gadget, you're going to want to fish spinners down river and fish traveling water and stuff so it's fun to you know mix it up and fish different ways for them so what's your what's your favorite though i mean if you had to pick just one where where would where would you where would we find you would you you fish that lower water or do you like it up river what's your preference um i'm, I'm a twitching guy i like i like i like twitching jig form so I, I i do a lot all up and down the river but you'll usually find me mid uh up, upwards where they start to stage a little more mm. Now I've got um, a dumb I've got a dumb question because I've never done this. Like uh-huh. how come you can't use spinners upriver? I mean why why wouldn't you do that? 
totally, totally can't. Um, if you were to take okay. a spinner to a spot where, where you're twitching, you're going to probably catch fish. It just, just seems to be the way that you catch the most, right? Um, okay. you, throw, you throw a twitching jig into a dead water, you might get five or six, where if you throw a spinner into that dead water, it seems like you're getting three or four, right? Mm. It just seems to be, they change a little bit. It's not like you can't catch them on a twitching jig in the lower river or you can't catch them on a spinner up top, right? Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, Let's talk about yeah. uh, spinner size. You know, what size spinner, color pattern. You got a hoochie on the, covering that hook or are you just running a, a plain spinner? What's kind of your go-to? Sure. I use um, always all fives, um, even even in the upper river where it's clear and lower, right? Yeah. Um, just, it, you know, it sinks a little better. And I, I, they don't seem to be shy about a bigger spinner in any way. You know, it's a five, five rack when I uh, use most of the time. And then uh, colors depends. You want to go with the brighter ones when the water is more colored. The chartreuse is always like a go-to no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, we did really good this year. The water was kind of clear early in the season. We did good on like the blue and the purple. So, Gotcha. That a, uh, that a silver blade, bronze blade, brass blade. Yeah, sil- silver for me always. I know I don't know much about the bronze and the brass blades and stuff. I know there's certain situations that a lot of guys use them, but I haven't. Um, so I don't know too much about that, but I, I, uh, I use the silver ones all the time when I'm fishing. And a, and a number five, size number five. Yep. Yeah, you can put a, the hoochie was working really good this last week. I actually had them um, on my rods on Sunday because it, had, it was really warm the last couple days there yeah. and the stock colored up the week. I was actually worried when I got to the river this weekend, it was, it had like maybe 10 inches of is mm. from snow melt. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is pushing it. So I, I put Hoochie's <laughs> on all the spinners that morning and it, we had, they said we had three in the first pass. So yeah. Talk, Danny, talk, a bit. talk a little bit about presenting that spinner, you know, for guys and gals that maybe haven't jumped on that program, haven't presented a lot of spinners for salmon and we're in a mm-hmm. boat moving down river, albeit if you're holding back on the sticks a little bit, slowing your slowing your drift boat down and you have persons fishing out of your boat and you're casting that spinner, how do I present that spinner across from me? What kind of angle? How am I letting it drag through or, you know, roll through the piece of water I'm trying to target? Yeah, so the, I would say the two most important things I see people make mistakes on is one, keep them low and slow. Everyone that I take on my boat starts reeling them too fast when I when I show them. I say, reel it this slow. And they always want to reel it just a bit too fast, right? I mean, you it's it's amazing how slow you want to reel them. I mean, as slow as you can to keep the blade spinning. Um, not only does that keep it in the strike zone better, but for some reason it just seems to work better because mm-hmm. you reel a spinner too fast. It doesn't stay down as well, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then the other thing is you can't, it's not going to work if you reel them upstream because they're not going to sink. So you want to cast upstream and then you want the boat to be moving just enough to where your spinner's wheeling in at the end of your drift, you know, it's kind of coming in sideways instead of from up from down river. Yeah. Um, so if I'm, I, when I'm in my sled, I'll be, I'll be drifting downstream a lot of times in neutral once the, the guys cast so that the spinners are coming sideways the whole time back to the boat gotcha. with the current. Yeah. A little harder to do like on anchor because by the time you get to the strike zone, your spinner's swinging below you and up. So um, yeah, yeah. if you can move with them a bit, you're going to be in better shape. But, yeah, keep them as low and slow as you can is what is definitely what I would say to anyone trying to fish spinners for a salmon. I also <clears throat> try to remind folks, don't underestimate how little that blade has to move, flutter, or begin to rotate when those fish will grab it. When you throw it across from you, 
if it's a little upstream from you and you get a little line belly that really initiates the drag, starts pulling that from the backside soft water into the current, it always seems that little bit of line, downriver line belly that, that takes that spinner, pulls it from that soft water on the backside right into the front edge of that current seam, and it doesn't even have to really spin. It's almost a flutter, and those coho will just hammer on that thing. Have you experienced that more times than not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, it's, it's like I said, it doesn't even, it's, it's almost like it's not moving half the time. I had, uh, I had a, a, a girl on my boat the other day on the bow and she, uh, she was actually good. She got really good at it, but she was casting upstream too much, like for me. Yeah. And after a while I, I said, I said, you know, do this a few times and she was doing all right, but a lot of her casts would go too far upstream. And I'm thinking that there's no way that's going to catch a fish. She ended up catching the first four <laughs> reeling it like, <laughs> almost downstream like because then the blade couldn't have been spinning much because she was reeling the right speed but it was coming so far from upstream but it, i mean it, it was i was like i'm just gonna say nothing because she's killing it up there yeah so yeah well i mean what isn't what isn't tried won't work right so what uh, yeah. my buddy herzog would always say what isn't tried won't work so you just never know i mean coho are crazy anyway let's face it they all they'll hit some of the most crazy stuff at the most inappropriate times and they'll just some right. days you just blow them up you know <laughs> i'd say it's unbelievable but Sounds like you still got a ton of fish coming. I mean, Puget Sound tends to have a good amount of fish still in it. The, the fish are stampeding towards the rivers now, obviously, with this rainfall. And uh, the coho fishing, you're open up there, I think, if I looked. And remember, through October uh, 15th, or does it go later than that? Yeah, so the last couple of years, they've had it closed the 15th or the 30th. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is just caution. Um, we've got a lot of problems now with, like, you know, the Noah, you know, being worried about lifting salmon and stuff around here on the, you know, what, whatever happened on the sky, they're worried about having to catch it too. Sure, yeah. Oh, I so um, they've been listing the closure date in October the last three years, but once the fish start coming in and they get the test nets in and they get the hatchery numbers in, if it looks sufficient, they've been reopening it. So the last three years, we've got an extension through November. Gotcha. Um, okay. I'm hoping it happens this year. It's happened three years in a row. There's no reason I don't think they shouldn't with how many fish are around. Um, we won't know that until we get closer to October 15th, though. Gotcha. Yep. So. Well, perfect. And I'm assuming you're probably booked on any days that you're able to get on the water. You're probably booked through the 15th. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you get yep. the extension, you're going to have dates open. How can people track you down if they want to inquire if you have availability if they do extend that into November? Oh, the easiest way um, is either Facebook or my website, um, rivercromeguideservice.com, or just find me on Facebook and text me or message me on Facebook or whatever. I get I can try to get back to them as soon as possible that way. So Yeah. yeah. Perfect. All yeah. right, young man. Appreciate you taking a little time for us this evening. Uh, folks got the gist of it, even though we're in and out of connectivity, but we're doing what we can. So uh, keep in touch, bud. Sure. Thanks for having me. Good luck fishing out there when the train drops. Should be good yeah. out there on the coast. Exactly. You too. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Okay. See you See guys. You. Danny Stonedall, River Chrome Guide Service. Jordan and I had spent some time, as I mentioned, with him. And it was a coho fishery out here on the coast. Oh, my gosh. Twitching jigs or casting spinners and hoochies all day. It was just Lights out, phenomenal. Huh? Yeah. yeah. So not only is he very, um, very good at getting you on fish all day long up north where he spends the bulk of his time, but once he moves on out to the coast for a winter steelhead, you know, we're probably going to be, and we're going to get into this here shortly because <clears throat> winter steelhead, to be honest, before we know it, but 
We'll get into it shortly about the rules of engagement when it comes to winter steelhead this year again, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Not going to be real favorable for a lot of folks, but yeah. for guys like Danny who can change it up and knows how to get his clients on fish, even if you cannot fish from within your boat, you can still have a fantastic day. So tell you what we're going to do. We're going to jump out for a quick break, a couple minute break, and we're going to try to re-spool here. I don't know. We got some connection issues, guys. We're just going to get through this show. No big deal. Uh, if nothing else, we'll reload this thing after the fact. I'm not going to really worry about it. we got some great content. We are going to attempt at the break to also track down one Mr. Jason Phelps. He is on the road to Montana, hoping that, hoping that he has good connectivity, because we obviously don't, but hoping yeah. he has good connectivity out there on the highway so we can uh, pick his brain a little bit on that New Mexico, elk hunt, him and Stephen Ranella and crew. We're down there for the better part of a week chasing after some, uh, some very nice elk, and they were successful. And we want to hear all about it. Yeah, we do. We want to hear all about it. So jump out for a couple of minutes. We'll be back right here in studio Fish on Northwest. Co. and Outdoor Emporium is the largest local outfitter in the Northwest since 1975, providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear. This summer, make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse-style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, come visit us today. The outdoors await you. It's easier than ever to browse homes and connect with an agent on the go with Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate's mobile app. With the app, your home search is synced across all of your devices, so you can pick up your home search anytime, anywhere. Take full advantage of an enriched, mobile-optimized map search experience. Use location services to quickly find homes near you that match your search criteria. Draw your own map boundaries to find homes in a specific area, and apply layers to view school districts, neighborhoods, zip codes, and more. The app's user-friendly design makes it easier than ever to find a home you'll love. Narrow down your search results, save your search criteria, and save your favorite homes. You can browse your saved homes in a list view that puts photos and key details, like price and square footage, right at your fingertips. Or check out your saved homes displayed on the map. Yep, for sure. Oh yeah, big fish. Yeah, buddy. Nice fish. Beauty. Gorgeous fish. Bobby's on the board. We got a good one. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, geez, come on. Nice fish. Nice fish. Hey, welcome back, Fish on Northwest. Winning on Tommy Donlin in studio. We are fighting through the doggone. I can't even type. 
Apparently, I can't even type regular words here, Tommy. <laughs> but you usually can't. <laughs> oh, this is That's true. not a new development. That is not a new development. <laughs> Everything else is a new development. This I'm is just ridiculous. surprised you're not a two-finger typer. No, no, I'm not a hunt and pecker. Uh, anyway, so we are stumbling through the evening, but nonetheless, Jason Phelps, friend of ours, is taking time out this evening. Very busy man. Uh, you guys know of him, Phelps Game Calls. And he is waiting patiently on the phone and waiting to get home and actually get some food, Tommy. Jason, how are you doing tonight, buddy? Really good. Thanks for having me, Dwayne. Absolutely, man. Thanks for taking time and, uh, you know, spend it, spend it with us a little bit here. Now, you just got back from a lengthy, what seemed to be a pretty lengthy road trip. You and uh, Stephen Ronella and crew found yourselves down on your, on your New Mexico hunt, chasing elk. And uh, yep. by all counts, looked pretty doggone successful, but... Let's break it down for all the folks tuning in tonight. You know, is it is it as easy as Stephen Ranella and Jason Phelps makes makes it look? That hunt specifically, so I was actually down in New Mexico for two separate hunts. Um, Steve and myself hunted the first season archery. So the way New Mexico works is they've got a 14 or 15 day first season archery and then they've got a 10 day second season archery. Oh. So um, give you a little more days for the harder hunt. So I was down there in the first season with Steve. Um, and then Steve's schedule is even crazier than mine. So he, he, you get the tags and, and start planning the hunt, um, all of that stuff. And you realize that Steve's going to give you five days, um, to go down there and try to kill two elk. <laughs> and it, so it, puts, it puts a whole bunch of pressure on, you know, and then, uh, for me, they're like, Oh, by the way, we have a hole in season 10, uh, meat eater, um, that needs to go on Netflix. So by the way, we're not going to give you, uh, you know, any, any time, like we right. just need to make this hunt happen with, with five days. So it adds a ton of extra pressure, but, uh, I ended up going down there three days early just by myself and just did a ton of scouting. Like, oh. um, I wanted to know where everything was at, what, what we were getting for bugling, where bulls were at, what the travel patterns were. And so I was able to put just a bunch of time down there by myself and really get things figured out, which, um, you know, I don't do a ton of scouting anymore, but that really gave the entire hunt kind of a jump start. Uh, now you, you had, there so, and, so Jason, you had two hunts there and you had one with lampers where it sounded like you guys had quite the grind, um, to find yep, his yep. bull. So what, I mean, what were the, the primary differences between the two, the two different hunts you had? I mean, so the main difference is just the unit. Um, you know, one unit's known, um, the, the hunt with lampers was second, second season, typically supposed to be a better hunt. Oh. Um, a unit I've actually been to before. Um, uh, so we thought we had it all figured out and, you know, I don't play the moon phase a bunch, but we can start to talk whether we thought the moon phase ultimately hurt it, the temperature. Um, but where me and Steve's hunt, the bulls were going, um, you know, a little longer in the day. It seemed to be very callable. Um, on the contrary, on Lampers hunt, uh, everything was, you know, stopped bugling by 7.30, and they didn't, they literally, you could be right on top of them. They wouldn't make a peep until 15 minutes at, at the end of the day. So it made it very, very difficult with very little time throughout the day to actually hunt elk. Mm. Um and and then the the sorry the uh, the terrain that you're dealing with down there, I mean, can you kind of describe that a little bit? It's not, you know, what you would typically think of as you know your mountainous elk country, right? Yep, yep. So a lot of the hills are you know 800 to 1,000 feet max. You know, when you're going ridge to ridge, and so it's not big canyon country. It, I would call it more rolling hill country. Mm-hmm. And then the the terrain is. You know, a lot of times when I go elk hunting, I like to look at differences between, like, there's a timber stand, there's brush, there's meadows. This is, like, the same for for as far as you can see. It's a lot of pinion juniper. Some of the north slopes have bigger timber, so it's a lot of rolling country that goes forever, and it never really seems to change. 
um, from, from really short shrubby type timber, um, and trees. Um, so a lot of times you can't see the elk, um, you can hear them bugling, but you really don't know what you're even after until they're on you. Um, where on Steve's hunt, a little bit different unit, we did have a lot, uh, a lot more stands of, of bigger, uh, timber, a little bit better forest management where, you know, it's obvious some stuff was burnt and replanted. And so it's just a little bit different there, but, um, I think the main difference is where uh, Steve and I were in the early season, there was just more elk, uh, more bulls. Uh, a lot of times it was, you know, one bull, two cows, but then two or three satellite bulls. It was almost just as many bulls as cows. So it really kept the elk talking and huh. very, you know, very competitive nature. Yeah. Um, so the elk were, were, you know, it seemed to be very, you know, very callable. What, uh, was there a noticeable temperature difference when you were down there for first hunt versus second hunt time frame with lampers they were both hot um they were we, both we hot. clocked in we had the day between um Ranella killing his bull and me killing my bull we know was 97 degrees oh wow um so it's just it's hot it's you know you, you're doing you're hunting in the morning you're hunting at night so you're trying to move camps um in the middle of the day and it was just that one day was just unbearably yeah. hot uh, you know you got we're hunting with camp on our back we're um you know, and so we're, we're, we're stopping, and if we don't find anything in the morning, you load everything back up and, and move up the mountain and try to find a new spot to camp. Yeah. Uh, so, it, yeah, very warm. Um, both, both hunts were very, very warm. So you're down there three days before. You're scouting. You're putting a plan together. What did you kind of take in as far as your observations in behavioral or pattern on these elk, kind of what their normal early morning to that mid-morning routine would be, and what you realized they were doing in their behavioral patterns, if there was such a thing, were you able to utilize yeah, so one, that? Were you able to utilize that yep. when you actually started hunting? Yep. So the one nice thing on uh, the unit you know, that me and Lampers were in is the elk were more accessible at night. Um, the two mornings I had climbed up, in, once I found the elk and wanted to kind of keep a closer eye on a few certain bulls, uh, went in there right at daylight and the elk were already almost to bed, you know, before it was hunting light. And so instantly I'm putting together a plan like these things are almost non-huntable in the morning. So if we, do you, you know, now I'm starting to think, do we save them for a night hunt? Do we not even mess with them in the morning? You know, all these things start to go through my head. Um, and we just kind of decided that, you know, when they showed up, Hey, it wouldn't be that bad of an idea. Let's get all of our camera gear and, and everything, um, together. Let's just plan on our very first time being a night hunt. Uh, and, and so some of that starts to affect your decision where it just didn't seem like they were that huntable in the morning. Mm. Um, and then we just, we just tried to, on my two days scouting, I paid a ton of attention, how many satellite bulls around, uh, which there were quite a few. Uh, one thing I noticed and keyed on right away is how aggressive the herd bull was that we were kind of in that first group and, and what I thought would be a very good target bull. Um, he would seem to leave his cows and chase a bull off 400 to 500 yards away oh, if he needed to, wow. which, uh, which starts to let me think like, all we need to do is get the win right, yeah. um, get somewhat close to his cows. And so we're just putting all of this together. Like what type of elk are we dealing with? Um, what do we think the best strategy is? Um, so, you know, so and then right off the bat, um, you know, that very first night in there, of course we called them the 12 yards. Oh my uh, gosh. you know, Steve, Steve's at full draw. And it's one of those things where that bull just kind of walks around the corner and just their sixth sense. He instantly knew, you know, Steve was already at full draw. Everything was right, but he just instantly picks him up and whirls, you know, before Steve starting to squeeze on the trigger. So, oh. um, yeah, we had our chance on him, um, and then ultimately there were enough other elk around that we just kept hunting and, and were able to keep running into other elk. 
Talk talk a little bit about call selection, right? So you're going into the situation, you know, which call do you choose and, and how do you talk about the selection process? Like, why do you choose the call that you choose? So for me, it's, it's really just the call that I'm the most comfortable with, which uh, is easy for me since, you know, being being the owner of the company and then ultimately designing my own signature call, it was the call that I can do everything the best on for the most part. So it's the, it's a call that I'm very comfortable with loud location bugles. So as we're walking around the woods, I want to be able to be, get very loud, crisp location bugles and kind of start the game. Um, secondly, it's, it's once we're in close, it's a call that I feel very comfortable. I can make all of the sounds with, whether it's, you know, everything from a calf chirp to a, a mature cow to an estrus line, to an estrus buzz, to any of the bugles, I can do it all from that one call. And that's where, when you're kind of in the, in the, you know, in the middle of the game, you don't want to be switching in and out. Um, so I typically will pair that diaphragm. And then this year with our new metal tube being released, um, and one, I wanted to put a bunch more time on it, but number two, we already kind of knew that it just sounded very, very accurate. Um, you know, we, on, on a meat eater hunt, we have a bunch of people that are, uh, you know, producers and stuff that, that they get to basically hide, you know, in the background during, during some of the call-ins. And then that was one of the things in my pursuit for perfection was asking them, Hey, you know, could you tell it was me? Could, you know, what was the differences? And, and, uh, these guys are pretty honest and they would have told me and then they're like, you know, very, very accurate, very close to sounding like the real thing versus in my opinion, you know, plastic tube gives a little bit different of a resonance. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of times just that, that pink, uh, diaphragm, uh, matched up with our metal bugle tube. And it was, um, it, it worked very, very well. Um, out of the, the nine bowls that we, you know, kind of quote unquote set up on or made a play on, we called in eight of them. Oh, um, to inside door. Awesome. And so it, I'll probably never ever bat that percentage ever again or, or bugle <laughs> that percentage again. But um, for I've also never been on a hunt, in my opinion, is as important as this one is as far as all of that. So I'll take a I'll take being lucky over good any day. <laughs> well, you definitely uh, excuse me. You definitely had the pressure against you to seal the deal. And uh, you know, Steve says you got five days. You got five days, and you better produce because we got a show to. We got a show yeah. to put down here, so you know what I—I I, I got a question though, because I've always wondered about this. You know, Steve has this very odd palate, this this weird taste, you know, sensory. Oh, the stuff he eats. The stuff that he eats. Yeah, yeah you know, and yeah. and so at any point in the hunt, were you sitting there thinking like, hey, you know, um, Steve just got his bull down. We're gonna have like Rocky Mountain oysters for dinner. Did that ever cross oh, your yeah. mind, or you know? We, oh yeah, we. We always, I joke with him, like, right off the bat. I'm like, you know, Steve, let's do something really crazy and uh, fry up some backstrap, um, you know, as, as part of our, our after <laughs> Yeah, let's, just go, let's go, just go crazy <laughs> yeah. with it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's, 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 so, no, we, we, do, we joked about it, you know, but he's, he's dead set, like, you know, the tongue's coming out with us, we're taking heart out with right. us. Um, you know, we weren't spiked in, you know, some of the other stuff went with us. But, um, no, he's, it, it's, you know, Nothing too crazy. We talked about fat behind the eyeballs and stuff. Like, ah, it'll work on these, but you know, it's definitely the best on caribou. Yeah, and oh, um, you know, no, no, no call fat because it's just too far to pack out. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah, nothing, we didn't eat anything crazy. Look, he is not a um, he is not one who brags about his call ability. Did you let him call at all in your presence? Was that even allowed? He did. Oh, he, he did. did. Awesome. Um, so on my bowl specifically, um, a lot of some of the, the, the technique and tactics we use, I would I would call them more of like a shock and awe. We had mm-hmm. located a bull, um, got him to answer eight, nine, ten times. We'll look on, on X maps, like, all right, he's right there. 
Uh, well, to win the one, so we we did a big circle, uh, climbed six, seven hundred feet up, got on his plane, and then really just snuck in on him, very, very quiet. You yeah. know, a lot of times as an archery elk hunter, I make a lot of noise. Uh, my dad says I was designed to archery elk hunt because I can't be quiet. <laughs> uh, <dry blow. laughs> yeah, well, look at you for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, so so we sneak in, and I get to where I think I'm about a hundred yards away. Steve sets up about twenty five yards behind me. Um, I rip into him with a good lip ball, and then you can hear him coming. Like he answers back instantaneously. Oh. And he answers a couple more times. Well, I don't want to necessarily let that bull know where I'm at. And so Steve just kind of took the, the bugling on from there and, and called him into, I think I let the arrow go at like 20 yards. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, was Steve using a plastic metal tube or was he, he was easy bugler? Yeah, he was easy bugler? No, he was using um, the pink signature as well yeah. with the metal bugle tube, but he had no mouthpiece attachment to it. So I'm bugling like a flare. He was just going like straight to the metal, which oh. it's not designed for, but right, it'll right. work that way. So okay. he was just going. Um, yeah, but, you know, that was one of those things. Like once we get – that's where I tell a lot of guys, and Steve's a dang – you know, he's he's a good enough caller. I wouldn't say he's the best, and he's, he's far from being the worst. He's good enough, but that's sure. where I've always said I think setting up the scenario was way more important than how good – Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have to call that bull, and yeah, we did everything point. else right. Yeah, yeah, we just set the scene, and then that bull was coming to see whatever was making that noise. Yeah. All right. T- truth be told, who's a better shot, you or Ranella? On this hunt, uh, Ranella made a way better shot than than I did. Um, you know, mine still died within sixty yards, but um, Ranella hit his in the ten ring. Um, I'm not going to make excuses. Uh, my shot was a little bit. Um, you know, the bulls walk, put his head down. It was still in the right spot, but it doesn't look great. Sure. Um, but no, Steve, Steve, for not being a self-proclaimed, you know, archery guru, right. like at the, at the trailhead shooting at targets, like that guy's dialed at 40 yards. I'll tell awesome. you the, the one significance about his show that stands out from what a lot of other folks are willing to put out there. If Steven Ranella makes a bad shot on an animal, that episode gets shown. Mm-hmm. I mean, he yep. doesn't hide anything yep. under the rug, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah. a, that's a situation that he's going to own. And he will tell people yep. who are tuning in, like, hey, you know what? It's hunting. It's not a guaranteed mm-hmm. kill every time, and here's what we're going to do now. So, you know, credit yep. to him in that regard. But it just, you know, on the surface, I mean, social media is what social media is. It looks like a fantastic hunt. Having talked to you prior to, I was like, wow, this is, uh, this is pretty awesome. And I want to yep. get you on the show to talk about it because, look, it's New Mexico. It's not the Northwest, right? And mm-hmm. people should yep. be intrigued with what it is you guys were able to do and find success in 90 plus degree temperatures and credit to you, mister, yep. for getting down there three days early doing that scouting. I mean, that had to pay dividends. Yeah. yeah it was, it was just to make sure, you know, you're in the right area, you're in elk. Um, yeah. You're not going to waste even a single morning or a single night. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. And then we got, you know, got into them right away. So yeah. there was no time that way. What is, uh, what's next on the uh, menu? You guys, uh, you knocked him out down there in New Mexico. Are you heading Montana. Where are you going? Yep, Montana is next on the on the list. So we're uh, heading out to um, you know Montana, Archie Elk Hunt there for a little bit, and then uh, you know go from there. So it's just uh, just kind of starting for us, but uh, yeah, it should be good. I'm a little worried. We're a little later, you know, into the year. Yeah, um, you know, tomorrow will be October, but uh, we they, they're still rutting. Um, they're going to still rut till the middle of October, so we should be good as long as there's elk around though. I'll and do my best to get them going. Folks can catch this episode of Meat Eater on the 10th season on Netflix, and that'll be coming up somewhere around January, February. Do you know? Yeah, so they just, yesterday, they released um, the first half of season 10. Um, so all, I think the first five episodes are, are currently on Netflix, and then the second half of season 10 will release somewhere around February, plus or minus. I don't know 
I just heard February, um, so I don't know exactly what date. I don't even know if they know exactly what date yet. Yeah, fantastic. All right, yeah. buddy, we'll, we'll let you go. We know you're busy. Appreciate you uh, jumping on here with us this evening. Uh, great story. Appreciate the uh, content you always provide. Folks love to hear from you, so thanks again. Yep, yep. Thank you guys very much. Have a good evening, and uh, good luck to you guys the rest of the fall. Yep, same yeah, with you. Good luck in Montana. We'll see you. Take care. All right, bye. Yep. Cut him off. Uh, Jason Phelps, no stranger to this location, no stranger to the gear he provides for us, whether it's mm-hmm. uh, elk, turkey, or otherwise. Check out what Phelps has going on, Phelps Game Calls, uh, uh, releasing their waterfowl lineup as well. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they're still working on some of the other deer calls and bug grunts and things that they're producing, but they're going to be full, uh, you know, name a type of call. Predator call, yeah. what have you? They're gonna, they're more likely gonna. I, have I am it. really impressed though with that aluminum tube. Yeah, it's something and, else. And that easy bugler, uh-huh. like I'm in my infancy of calling, right? Sure, yeah. And, you know, as as are you, I, I believe, yeah. right? One hundred percent. But I can actually sound like a bull. What? No, it might be a sick bull, but it's a bull. <laughs> it's you a know, bull. it's a one bull. I can chuckle a little bit, you know. But it's a. Uh, it's pretty phenomenal. It's a bull on his way down to the ground with a double lung shot. And <laughs> it's his last little. Noise that he lets yeah, out? Is that right. what you sound like? Uh, not quite. It's a little bit better than that. A little bit better than that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Glad we got Jason on when we did. We are going to jump out for a break, Tommy. We come back. We got some things we got to get through. You and I are going to have a couple discussions here. Um, folks have been kind of waiting to see where this goes. Interesting dialogue on our social media. If you have some input, be sure to jump on here and let us know where you're at. We're going to take a break. We come back. River etiquette. Bank fishing and or boat. Down the river, it doesn't matter. River etiquette when we come back right here, Fish on Northwest. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Fish on Northwest weekly podcast. I want to remind everyone that you can catch our weekly live stream show on our Facebook page and, of course, our YouTube channel every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. West Coast time. You'll get our insightful in-studio interviews, our extremely detailed how-to segments in the Bait Lab, the infield segments we bring to you when we're on the water or in the woods, and of course, our amazing cooking recipes in the kitchen with co-host Sherry England and chef Jeff Maxfield. Give us a follow on our Facebook page at Fish Hunt Northwest. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fish Hunt NW. Find us on Twitter and Instagram, and finally, go to our webpage at www.fishhuntnw.com for all the latest and greatest info. Join us each week here on our podcast. Join us each week at our live production. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.